0: Okay, in Psalm 34, I'm going to read from Psalm 34 and verse 1, and I'll read down through. Verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name, his very nature. Together, I sought the Lord. I didn't wait. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lit up. They looked unto him, and they lit up. And their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. Not just some. Like he desires to do right this morning. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. No. We don't have to wait for anyone. Because in Isaiah 40, verse 30. One, it says, They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will, they will run and not be weary. And they will walk and they won't faint. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him in Psalm 34 and verse 6 and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord, and this is talking about a theophany. And this is talking about Christ and his pre-incarnate state. in camps, surrounds, as we have said so many times, we are the dot and God is the circle. The angel of the Lord surrounds them that reverence him and he delivers them. Here's verse 8. O taste and see, the Lord is good and blessed is the man that trusts in him. Blessed is the individual that doesn't make others their trust, but makes Christ their trust. And now they can fellowship. No one can replace Christ. He and his love for us, for all of us, he won't allow that. Now, the psalmist here, through the Holy Spirit, bringing in the reality of Christ into their experience here, as far as they can go in this old covenant, he's challenging them in love, To make the experiment, try it, try me. Make the experiment, experiment, how? Make it for yourself. You see, only the individual in their own individuality can experience Christ. He's irreplaceable. No one can replace him in us. And that's why he's brought us here, all of us here this morning because he wants to tell us that we don't have to look for something else or someone else. We can have him, and we have him right now, because he's the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4-7 that's in us. So this is what he's saying to us. He's saying this, taste. Taste me. Take me in right now. Take in the counsel of my word. The word taste here is ta'am. T-A-A-M, Ta'am in the Hebrew. And it means to perceive. To taste. It's Ta'am. To taste. And literally it means, it's in the causative. Not to get into really deep into the Hebrew, but like we have in the Greek, there is the voice. There is the present imperative. There's a passive voice. All of these different voices, when we study the Word of God here, here, the, the, the taste means this. Now watch what this means. And this is what God does for all of us. And this is what he wants to do this morning. He is the cause. The cause here is the hifil in the Hebrew. It's causative. And he causes us in the midst of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. When we begin to look for others. And you know that when we do. We're always going to be disappointed because they're not the basis of our fellowship, Christ is. Christ is. I don't have to go. And I'm not to go to another source. And if I do, that source that I go to will turn me right back around to Christ again. Because he's irreplaceable in us. He's irreplaceable. And so, Christ is the cause. He's the cause. And he has to cause us to feed. How does he do that? He has to bring us to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. And he makes us to eat, makes us to eat, to feed on Christ. So that word, to taste, ta'am, is to ascertain or to experiment and taste this flavor, the taste that Christ is to have discretion after tasting him, to have discernment. And when I can discern, which means I can see things clearly, because he, he, Christ himself, is the perception, the very light in me as an individual, and no person can replace that. So when I don't want to face God, any of us, when I don't want to face him, when I don't, and that's when the enemy is trying to bring in, and here it is, we see in Psalm 34 and verse 5, shame. Shame. And when he can cause me to feed on shame based upon lies, then I'm going to skip over Christ in my experience and I'm going to look for someone else to give me what only Christ can give me. That's why it says, They that wait upon the Lord. Not those that we have in high regard. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, their mind, and will be graced out. In Ephesians 4 and verse 23. We don't have to wait. There's no wait. That's the lie. That's the lie. Because this is what it says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, come unto me, not someone else. Come unto me. Are you laboring? Labor there, as we have been taught through the years, through these many years, labor means that that I am struggling and I have struggles over certain sins. I'm struggling over sins. I just can't seem to get victory. I'm struggling. And then I'm heavy laden. And heavy laden is that thing that the enemy, when he accuses us, wants to put on us. (laughs) And Jesus says this, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I want rest. I want quietness from this. Isaiah 30, verse 15, it says, quietness and confidence will be your strength. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from Christ. Christ we can encourage each other we can edify each other but jesus christ himself is the source of that grace that love where's the where the only place we can rest he's the source of that and not someone else not someone else no matter how much we highly esteem them and we should in a proper sense in 1st thessalonians 5:12 and 13 and 1st timothy 5 and verse 17 are based upon Hebrews 13 and verse 17, those that give us the word, yes, we're to highly esteem them. But they can, they can never replace Christ, they're never meant to replace Him. They can be a joint that supplies to bring me right back to Christ in my own individuality. Not to live apart from the body, but in my own individuality become a, to become a joint that supplies. When I have, when I begin to taste Him, the flavor, the taste of his grace. Oh, taste and see that he's good. You won't find, if you're looking for the good that's only in God, you won't find it in an individual. That individual may find in their own experience God's goodness for them. But if you're searching for your good, the good that only Christ can meet, you're not going to find it in another. Yuck, our counsel this morning right? is right here. It is. It is. That's why God brought us here uh, this morning, all of us. It's why we woke up this morning. That's why we still breathe. It's because it's him. I don't have to go uh, to another source. And he's teaching me to actually grow up in him and not to lean on others to give me what only Christ can give me, but then grow up in him so I can be a source and have fellowship together with even those that we highly esteem. Again, because if Christ isn't my all, I look to someone and when I feel they fail me, I go to someone else. That brings in comparison. And comparison is based upon division and division is based upon a lie. And it's all because I'm going, and any of us can do this in the flesh, I'm going to the wrong source. And again, he's telling us us these things and giving us this counsel, very precise this morning, because he loves us, all of us. Now, when I have that discernment, then I can discern and see and function in a proper image. Who is the source of my image? Is someone else? Did someone else crucify me? Did someone else die, take my place, die and pay for all of my sins? Did he? Did anyone else other than Christ? No, no. And when I discern these truths and grow up in Christ in me, and instead of, instead of running from him, I face him, what do I see? I get discernment, I begin to feed, but he has to cause that. He's the cause, and He's the source. He causes me to feed. He has to bring me to a place where I am just, you know what, I am just completely done with self. All the lies, all the past that I'm not, the present, He's my life, that took care of my past, He's my present life, and He's my life forever, for all eternity in the future. And when I have this discernment, now it is going to enter into proper behavior. And proper behavior is based upon proper character. And that's why in 1 John 1 and verse 7, walk in the light. Is there any lies in his light? Well, can God lie in Numbers 23 and verse 19? Now, lie there when it says this. In Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Now, in our relationships, even in the the best that they are, we can change our mind as much as we can love each other and be a source of God's love for each other, that we can enter into a lie, meaning even in ignorance, I may not know what's going on in an individual's life fully. I may not know that, but who does? Who has the fullest knowledge of who I am in Christ? Who has the fullest knowledge of what the enemy is trying to do to me? Who has the fullness of that? It's Christ. It's God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to wait. I don't have to go somewhere else. And then when others come, we can just have fellowship. But then they, they don't become the source of my joy. Because in Psalm 16, 11, it says in his presence is the fullness of joy. And no one can bring me there but Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can do that. Now, then I function in proper behavior. Proper behavior is based upon proper character. That's what 1 John 1, 7 is teaching. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship one with another. See, I can't have proper fellowship with another believer if I don't have that intimate fellowship with Christ myself. And if I don't have it, and I don't have it, and Christ's the only one that can get it and give it to me because he's in me, then I'm going to go to another source. And when I do, ultimately, if they become that source in some way because we're weak and frail, we're going to fail each other. But if I have Christ between us, because how does he get between in a marriage? What makes a, su- a successful marriage is Christ is between two individuals, but he must be in the two to become one. Then you have a fellowship, and boy, if that if if that is not needed first and foremost in marriage, because it's the most intimate relationship, there needs to be fellowship in there. See. And we're married to him, that's for sure, in Revelations 19. And we're, we've been espoused to him, and we're married to him. And we're going to celebrate that marriage in Revelations 19, uh, 7 and, and 9. So again, it enters into behavior. Then we begin to see properly. What does that mean? It means this. And when it says this in here, and I love the way this is brought out in the Hebrew. And this is amazing. It says, they looked unto him and were lit up. And what it means is, they constantly flowed toward him. Not others. (laughs) They constantly flowed toward him. You see, because everything that Christ did, he did for us as individuals. And no one else had a part in that. No one else. Yes, we have fellowship. Yes, we need godly counsel. But godly counsel from others, when we go to them, will turn us right back to Christ. Listen, right where we are. Right where we are. Where is Christ right now? Is he in us? Do we know that to be true based upon the epistle of Ephesians? Is he in us? And so I have to go out from him? I I have to go out from him. I have to go out from him because I see that God is doing something deep in those that I love in a different place. That's because God has that person in that place to do that work, and he has me here to do that work. And that's why it's very important to function in our place and to rest and to trust him. Now, then we begin to see and what it says here is, in Psalm 34 and verse 5, it says, when they looked unto him, when they flow unto him, they're lit up. They sparkle. <laughs> that's what it says. They're lit up with the light that Christ is in them. They have in it, and you and I have in us, all of us, have this treasure within us. And he must, and that's 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and he must increase in me. No one can do that. He must increase in me, but I must what? Decrease. And the enemy gets us to look at the decrease that's going on, that it's already decreased, to bring in shame and accusation. They float unto him, to him who's the light, the treasure in them, and they just begin to be lit up. And their faces, it says, were not ashamed. They functioned in a proper image. Their faces weren't ashamed. Why? Because you and I are in Christ. In Ephesians 1.6, we're already accepted in the Beloved. Already. Nothing we have to do about that. We are accepted in the Beloved. Who made us accepted? Can someone else make me, they can encourage me and turn me right back around to Christ. But who made me accepted in the Beloved? Who did that? Christ did that. The Father in giving the Son and the Holy Spirit. They were all in concert, bringing that into a proper place in individuals. I don't have to wait. No. Because my expectation comes from who? The counsel this morning is, in Psalm 62, 5, my soul, listen, wait upon him. Wait upon him. Wait. Upon who? Who does it say to wait upon? God. You mean someone else? To do what only God can do in me as an individual? No. No. My soul, wait upon God, him. For from him comes my expectation. If I look to someone else and I expect them to do something for me because of my condition, based upon... What God is doing through that individual in another place to individuals that I may know and love, then I make him the source. He's not. God is our source. He's the source. He is my source. He's your source. He's our only source. My soul waits you upon the Lord, for from him comes my expectation. What that does then, when I understand that and taste and see that he's good, and when I taste him and taste his grace and the flavor and taste of his grace that does away with all shame, then, in Psalm 62 and verse 8, I begin to trust in who at all times? Don't make others your trust. Because ultimately, we will fail each other. It's on point. We will and we don't want to, we won't. But you know, we have Christ between us, always a way back. Trust in who at all times? Him. At, all, at what? At what times? All times. All times. Make trust in Him and His Word to be the thing that you flow towards. And don't flow away from Him and try to flow to others. This is very, very precise in the discernment of God's counsel for each of us. Then you see, then you see, trust in him at all times, it says, watch with this. This is why I always, and and God has been teaching me this. This is why in any issue, whether it's hoopamoni, my circumstances and situations, or macrothumia, dealing with people, I should what? Trust in who at all times? Trust in him at all times, not someone else. Trust in him at all times. Because God's brought us to the particular place where we are to cause us, cause, causative, to feed on him and make him our trust and not others. Because if I look to others at some point, I'll be what? Disappointed. I have shame. There's things going on in my life. I need someone to come in and give me counsel. I'm going to tell you right now, God's given it to us right now. We don't have to wait. We do not have to wait. We have it right now. And the choice is ours to make. All of us. All of us. You see. Trust in Him at all times. You you saints, you beloved. And pour out your hearts to who? Who should we pour our hearts out to? You mean I have to call and, 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 and get someone else <laughs> what does it say and make that person my source because the enemy's convinced me that my source is not here boy pour out your hearts to him okay so if I'm heavy laden if, if I labor I'm struggling over sin who should I go to If I'm heavy laden, the enemy's putting shame and guilt and all this nonsense on me and pounding me and telling me lies about myself and telling me lies about others. And and the only reason he's doing that is to cause us to feed on shame, constantly feed on shame, instead of being lit up with Christ in us. Then who should I go to? Come unto me, Christ said. Come unto who? Him. When someone hurts us or disappoints us, and, and then what should we do? What did Jesus do? In the perfection of his humanity, even in, when he was rejected, when he was lied about, lied, maligned and slandered, you know, slandered and maligned, what did he do? Read Matthew, the 11th chapter, even before you get to 28 to 30. he He went right to his Father. Trust in him at all times, You people, pour out your heart to him. Because if you don't, and you try to make someone else to be the cause, and you're waiting for them to come to be with you, then the enemy comes in, and in Psalm 62 and verse 10, he brings in oppression. Trust not in oppression. Because if he's not your trust now, what are you trusting in until you think you need to get from someone else what you need? It's called oppression. You're going to constantly live in oppression and I would constantly live in oppression instead of having an exchange of a of a, the Christ life in us as individuals see that the lord is good good here in the hebrew is tum, towb t o w b listen to what it says he's favorable we have festive festive oh it's everything is is joyous festive it's pleasing God is pleased with who his son has made me to be in him right now, right now. And I am pleased when I taste it and see it. And everything is pleasant. Everything is well. It is well. Everything is better in Hebrews. Read the book of Hebrews. The key word there is better. Christ is better than anything and anyone. He, he is right, and he makes me righteous. He's the best. He brings in prosperity. He's my preciousness. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 19, he's very precious, and he shed his precious blood for me as an individual. No other person ever did that. No, he brings in wealth. He brings in beauty, he makes me cheerful and joyous, he's the one that makes me at ease, he makes me joyful, he's sweet when I taste him, and then he's ready to do it again, constantly. For happy is the man, blessed, joyful is the man, the man here in the Hebrew is gebar, G E B H E R, Gabar, and this is what it means. Happy is the man, the man that's strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Who? In Christ. Who's he storing up in us? In our experience? Christ. Christ. He can use others to do so, but they're not the source. Christ is. Christ is. The strong man. And the strong man is one who evidently finds his strength in Christ alone. God is not a man that he should lie or ever change his mind. We are apt to do that quickly, but he never does. I am the Lord your God in Malachi 3 6, I change not. Jesus Christ the same in Hebrews 13 8, yesterday, was he my, was he my everything yesterday? Isn't he today, presently? And will he not be for, forever? Isn't it true that every good gift comes down? Every good gift and every complete gift comes down from the Father of lights to light us up, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And that verse brings out the fact that when Christ came, he gave us himself as a substitute, but he brought us a Father along with him. And the Holy Spirit, comfort comforters, to constantly keep us lit up on the inside. And when I'm lit up with light, it keeps out guilt, shame, and all the lies that go with it. And so he, he what does he do? The strong man takes refuge in who? You wanna make another body member your refuge? Then you don't have anything to give them in exchange. But the strong man makes his refu- refuge in who? Where are we located? In Christ. In Christ. We are to fear, reverence him. We are to have all with him. We are to seek him, and when we do, there's no lack. Then he becomes the master of my circumstances and situations, and my circumstances and situations, kuppomone, and evil, negative people, or even people in their weakness when they fail me, don't become my authority. Christ is, he is, but he has to break us. You see that? In verse 18 of Psalm 34, wish we had time to get into all of it, but we don't, but we will as God sees us, but he has to break us. What is he breaking us? The the will that clings to what? To self-occupation and self-preservation. Even whether it's rebellion or ignorance, both are extremely dangerous. You see that in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. There is no true obedience without a will submitted to Christ alone, through the power, obviously, of the Holy Spirit, but he's going to break us. And, and brokenness it just means that I am positioned in Christ. I am the beloved, beloved. Beloved. Be free in Galatians 5.1. We're in the beloved, but he has to break the vessel, us. He has to break it so that all my spiritual success positionally now flows into my experience. And then my spiritual success, based upon Christ alone, my source, begins to be worked out in my experience. And that's the place, the only place, experientially. It's the only place in meeting of God's presence. It's the only place. Now I have the, God's presence. I have the Holy Spirit who's the unction, the anointing in 1 John 2:20 and 2:27. And I no longer need in 1 John 2:27, the flesh in me, the natural man counseling me based upon the lies of the enemy to bring in shame, to accuse me, you know when the enemy can accuse us of shame. Ultimately, he will use us as a source to accuse others. He just will. We're all one in the body of Christ. We're all weak and frail, but strong in him, aren't we? All of us. And so it's his presence. His presence experientially is our continual healing. That's what it says in Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from all their destructions. And we have many afflictions, many, in verse 19 of Psalm 34, many are the the afflictions of the righteous. But what are they designed to do? Did you know that every time we're afflicted, it's an opportunity to make us run to Christ as our refuge and not anyone else? (laughs) Personally. Because everything he did was personal for us. And so he causes us causative, right? It's all his love and his grace, based upon justice fulfilled. He's the cause, and he himself is the source. I don't have to wait. Oh, I don't have to wait. Oh, I can't wait until so-and-so. No, you don't have to wait. You can have it right now, and we can have it. And when I have it personally right now, and when you have it personally right now, then we can fellowship right now with nothing between us but Christ. In Ephesians 5 and verse 21, just submit to one another because we are so lit up personally with Christ that that's all we have to give out. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but every one of them is the opportunity for the Lord to deliver us out of them all. <laughs> that's what they are. You know they're measured. All the, aff- the afflictions in 1 Thessalonians 3.3 3 were appointed by God's love that flows through wisdom and that's why we have to ask him. I have to, I have to ask him. Your counsel has to be right here. It doesn't have to be a phone call. It doesn't have to be that. James 1.5, if any, if any, that's who we are in Christ, the any. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of who? Let him ask of God. Again, I may go out of my place. Where, where God has designed my source to be worked into me. And I may go out, but that when I go out, that, that other place, that other individual will just turn me right back around to Christ again. That's what will happen. That'll be godly counsel. So many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Now, look, now, I just want to finish this up here. In Psalm 34 and verse 5, it says, They flowed unto him. They constantly looked unto him. And that flow was causative. He's drawing us to himself, away from the lies, the shame, the guilt that Christ already dealt with. I'm not my sin. And when someone else sins against me, ignorantly or rebelliously, they're not their sin. As much as I am not. Things may need to be dealt with, yes. Yes, and again, if we deal with them right, who do we go to? My soul waits you upon who? Upon him. I wait upon him. Because my expectation, the thing that I have and that I deeply desire, comes from him. That's why at times I do look forward when Mike comes here. Because we have a depth of fellowship. And I'm going to tell you the the reason why he said he wanted to come. Because he misses the depth of fellowship that we have. First and foremost... It's yeah, to help with doing doing certain things, but that is so secondary. Because what would that be without the fellowship, the intimacy? What would that be without that? Notice here it says they flowed unto him, because he was the cause of that, and their faces were not ashamed. Let me tell you what face their faces were not ashamed. Here's the word ashamed. The word ashamed in the Hebrew is kofer. C H A P H E R. It's kafir. It's from another Hebrew word that's closely associated to it, which is kafar, C-H-A-P-H-A-R, kafar. And it means to pry. Listen to this. It means to pry. See? And by implication, to delve and to explore. You know what the enemy wants to do? Through shame. You know what shame is? He's trying to delve. He's trying to pry into who we are in Christ. He can't pry us out positionally in John 10, 28, and 29, based upon John 6, 37, and 39. So he wants to pry us out of a proper experience. Because as soon as I get out of him, there's going to be a temptation that the enemy, and God never tempts us in James 1 and verse 13, but as soon as I get out of experiencing him and his love, there's going to be a source of temptation that the the temptation from the enemy is to cause what? Shame, guilt, and condemnation. And to cause us to say, okay, and then what do we go back to when we don't go forward? Right back to those things that we hate and can't get victory over ashamed to explore he wants us to explore sin and and you know what the bible says and god was making it very clear to me this morning confess it in first john 1 9 don't explore it don't try and find it out it's gone and don't live in it don't taste on it don't feed on it don't feed on it we either feed on shame or his love And there's no fear in love in 1 John 4 and verse 18. And so it means to paw, to dig. The enemy digs at us. What does that mean? With his lies, he's digging at us. And he tries to dig, and the way he can dig at us is by lies about someone else to dig us. Gosh. To dig. He wants to dig. He paws at us constantly with these thoughts with these lies, in 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, all those lies that he wants us to explore, get us occupied with them, yes, this person thinks this way about me, ah, ah. And he and the enemy is causing me to see myself and all this shame and this guilt and failure. And then he's causing me to think that others see that too. (laughs) When none of that is who we are. No. Their faces weren't ashamed. They were lit up. To search out, to seek. He searched out who you are in the flesh. Search it out. And then in your flesh, search out others in their failures, in their shortcomings. Because after all, we're all weak. We all have a place in the local assembly, but we don't all occupy the same place because God knows what he's doing in the protection of his love for each individual in that specific place where he's placed them to protect us. And that's what love always does with wisdom. It protects us. It keeps out shame, guilt, and condemnation. In Romans 8, 1, there isn't any in Christ. There's plenty in the flesh. In Romans 8, verse 4 through 8, yes. So that we experience, and in my flesh, what do I experience? God's not pleased with me. But yet, is the flesh who we are? Has that been dealt with? You see, I don't have to go anywhere else. I don't have to go. I can get it right here, right now. I don't have to wait. And so that word, again, Kafer, C-H-A-P-H-E-R, the idea is of detection. The enemy is like a detective. He He wants to cause us through his lies to detect the failure and sin and tell us that's who we are. And you know, God, if I see it that way, others must see it too. Others must see it. It it speaks of the idea of detection to cause us to blush, listen, or to be ashamed. Cause us to be ashamed and to be disappointed. You know, when I don't go to Christ and I seek to go to an individual that only Christ can give me, I'm going to be disappointed every single time. And when they fail me, and we will fail each other, but thank God for forgiveness, right? It's It's God confirming his love for us and bringing us right back to each other. How quickly... Quickly. <laughs> I can come. Instantly, I come to him. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30. Instantly. And so, he, causes, he wants to cause us to blush, to be ashamed, to be disappointed. And he wants to replace the, the love and light of Christ in us as the cause that we flow to. To flow away from him as a cause to enter into shame. To enter into, into, to enter into shame. To reproach. To be confounded, to be brought to confusion. Well, I thought I was in Christ. I thought I was, but look at how I feel. We're not our feelings. Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, dependence upon him, and not by sight, feelings and emotions based upon lies. I have bad emotions, it's because I've received bad thoughts. You see, because thoughts, thought is the initiation. Okay, and then the the emotions have to pay for the content of the thinking, and that becomes my direction. Does it seem like there's any good there? No, no, there's no good there. No, none whatsoever. And it means to reproach. It means to be brought to confusion. He wants to bring you to a place where you're confused. Is God the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three? No, he's the author of what? Life and peace. Who's my life? Christ. Who is my peace? Christ. Someone else is not my peace. They can't give me peace. Only Christ can, because he is my peace. In Ephesians 2 and verse 14, he's won that peace for me. In Colossians 1 and verse 20, by the blood of his cross. He has done that already for me as an individual, not someone else not someone else, if I go to someone it's to have fellowship it's to have the purity of fellowship well here it is as we begin to close this out this morning he wants to bring us to conf- to confusion he wants to bring us unto shame and he comes with a lie to put us to shame and guilt to, and he brings reproach he wants to bring us reproach you know Again, in Psalm 69, and let me just read this as the Holy Spirit brings this particular verse in correlation to my mind for all of us. And so, what does it say here in Psalm 69? Verse 9, it says, For the zeal of your house has eaten me up. Meaning he, everything he, he did, he wanted to please the Father in John 8, 29. And when he was pleasing the Father, because the Father is not willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish. Christ did all of that. He did. He pleased his Father in John 8, 29. Always. He, he is the measure of our pleasure. He pleased the Father fully in my stead. Now I receive him. And I walk in the pleasure that he is in me as a vessel. For the zeal of your house, in Psalm 69, 9, has eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproached you are fallen upon me. 69:20 Reproach has broken his heart. On Calvary, reproach. All those sins and all those accusations and all the evil and the sins that were upon individuals that went towards God and towards each other Christ paid for them, and all the reproaches were breaking his very heart. He said, I am full of heaviness. I look for some to take pity. But there was none. Are you looking for some to take pity, to find compassion? You'll find that in Christ and in him alone. Others can direct you to him, and they should, but they're not your source. For some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Because he couldn't. Because he was paying for all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of the accusations and all the lies. He not only paid for sin, but he paid for all the effects of sin. And an effect of sin, not living in his presence experientially, is guilt and shame and condemnation. And he did all of that. Reproach. Here's the word reproach. Okay? Reproach is Kerpa, Kerpa, C H E R P A H, Kerpa. That is called reproach. And it's from another Hebrew word, right? It's Karaf, C H A R A P H. And this is what it means it means to pull off. And the enemy, through his lies, And guilt and condemnation to cause shame, he's trying to pull us off of a proper experience in Christ. He can't pull us out of our position in Christ, so he wants to pull us off of a proper experience. And he does so by shame, guilt, condemnation that causes fear, that causes anger, that causes irritation, that causes causes intense hatred, causes all of that, and causes suspicion. Now I'm, now I'm suspicious. You know, guilt and shame makes me a skeptic. It makes me so that I don't think I can trust anything or anybody. You see, it's never a, of an issue that I can't trust God for people. It's I don't trust Him. He's not my trust for everything and for everyone. And how much more for the body of Christ. Reproach And so that word means to pull off. By implication, it means to expose us. You know when he convinced Adam and Eve to buy his lie in Genesis 3 1 to 6? What was the first thing when they fed on what they shouldn't have? They fed on the lie and not the life that Christ is, the tree of life. When they didn't do that and they fed on the lie, what happened? What was the first thing that they knew? They were naked, they were ashamed. They never felt that between each other. There was no shame in their relationship. The minute they bought the lie, there was shame. And that's, of course, when Christ came, they heard his voice in Genesis 3, 8, and, they, and they, in all the fulfillment of what went on there, all the way down to the 21st verse, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 21. And then in 20, even in verse 24, he drove them out of that place out of that place where all that shame and guilt was, what was meant to be beautiful, he drove them out and placed the cherubim in 324 of, of Genesis to keep the way so they wouldn't keep going back in and feeding on those lies. Well, we'll begin to close here. They were brought... He wants to bring us to confusion and to, call, to bring us to, to, to expose us to shame by stripping us off of a proper experience. That means he strips us. He wants to strip us, rob us, because in John 10, 10a, the thief comes to do what? To steal. Strip away your experience and make it shame. To, to, to what? To, to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. Bring me to a... Right back... So the thing that I didn't want to do. He wants to bring what's the sense, might as well end it. Mm. What was the source each of us individually when we failed and shame and guilt and condemnation was brought in? What was the cause of it? Was God or was it pride? It was pride. He has to deal with that with us. And he uses others to do that. He does. Even in their failures, he'll use that. He will, to turn us to him. And not that we want to do that, not that we should do that, but we will, we'll fail. But that's why we always can go to God and then go to the individual and boom, it's done. So done. And just right back to fellowship again. To expose by stripping. In other words, it's to betroth. He wants you not to be married to Christ in your experience. He wants you to marry him. Marry shame. Marry guilt. What a relationship, right? To betroth. In other words, to cause us to not surrender to Christ for everything, but to surrender to him in this guilt and shame. Figuratively, it means to carp at. He's constantly carping at us. It affects my sleep. It affects my whole work day. It affects every single thing about me. It's just, he's carping at me. Daniel 7, verse 25, he speaks great words against the Most High to wear out the saints. He, come, he came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ has come that they might have life. Who's, the life of, who's, the, who's that life in me? Is it another individual? Or is it Christ? It's Christ in me as an individual. And when I have that in the intimacy of his love and fellowship and communion, now I have an abundant life. What's that mean? Now I have that to give others. I'm not going to them to try and seek something from them. I'm going to have fellowship. So that's what we do when we get together, is to have fellowship. Not to use them for something that only Christ has dealt with already. See? So it means he he wants to, to carpet us And he defames us. He defames us. He rails against us to cause disgrace. He rebukes and reproaches us to cause shame. That's his whole plan for us. That's his whole plan for us. Isn't that awesome? To know, to have precise detail. You see? I'll close with just reading this, these verses. In Psalm 37, in Psalm 37, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Neither be you envious against the workers of iniquity, for they will soon be cut down like grass and wither as the ground herb. Look at what it says in verse 3. Trust in who? The Lord. Trust in the Lord, and then you do good, because that's the source that it comes from. And you will dwell in the land. All those promises that are yours, that Christ has has fulfilled in you. And truly, truly, you will be fed. Now, you're going to delight yourself also in who? The Lord. You're going to delight yourself in the Lord. And when you do, He will give you, through grace, and through love and wisdom, the desires of your heart. Then you will roll all your way on him. You won't try and roll it on someone else. Neither will I. You will commit. You will roll your way unto who? The Lord, and you will trust also in him, and he will bring to pass what you desire. He will do it and he will bring forth your righteousness that you are in Christ as a light. You're going to be lit up with the righteousness that Christ is in you and in me and there'll be no shame because darkness, shame, guilt cannot be where light is. You go into a room and it's dark, you flip the switch and what happens to the darkness? They don't coexist. They do not coexist. Then, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Then what does it say in verse 7? Rest in the Lord. Where's our rest? Where does he bring in peace and silence? In the Lord. And wait patiently for who? Who are you going to wait for? Who am I going to wait for? Who are we going to wait for? Who does it say here? In 37.7. Him. Christ. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way. God is doing a great work in this individual in this different area. I don't feel like he's doing it to me. No, no, you're not that individual, and neither am I. And God has each individual in the place where they need to be because that's the place where he'll meet them. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way. And also, that's in the positive sense, in the negative, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass, cease from anger. What causes a lot of anger in us? Fear, shame, guilt. Causes intense anger. And forsake what? Wrath. Fret not yourself, listen to this one, in any wise to do evil. Because if I function enough in guilt and shame, ultimately, what am I functioning in apart from him? It's called the evil. But here's what we have. Here's what we have in verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance will be forever. That's thirty-four eighteen. Look at verse 19. They will not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, they will be satisfied. The days of famine are the days where he has to make us sick of feeding on self. The lies of the enemy, the shame, the guilt, and constantly all these things. Finally, finally, that's famine. They, but they will be satisfied. Who's the only one that satisfies us? Because The only one that can, the only one that did, is Jesus Christ. He crucified my old man. In Romans 6, 1 through 6. He paid for all my sins in Psalm 103 and verse 12 and removed them as far as the east is from the west. He's my life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. He is the one that I'm to hide in in Colossians 3 and verse 3. He's the one that is my peace. In Ephesians 2 and verse 14. I don't need someone. I need someone to encourage me. But all the word and the encouragement and the counsel will be is to turn me right back around to Christ. Guess what? Right where I am right now, I can come to him. I can come to him. And what will I find when I do come to him? He's waiting to condemn me? No. He's waiting. He's waiting In Isaiah 30 and verse 18, he's waiting to be gracious. Quietness in 30 verse 15. Quietness and confidence will be your strength, it says. But you know what it says? It says, but they would not. Because their will still wasn't sick enough of being attached to self and lies and shame and guilt. We got to get sick of feeding on that and feed on Christ the Lamb. Is brought out in Exodus 12, 1 to 13. So, Father, thank you for the depth of your love, the depth of your counsel. Thank you so much for how precise, how, how loving, oh God, and how you, your love brings in conviction. Conviction's an awesome thing. If you're not being convicted in some way, then we're not experiencing love. And when I'm not experiencing conviction, I'm going to experience condemnation. I will be either a source of the conviction of God's love in me or I will be the source of his condemnation in me. And instead of being used as a vessel to build up and edify each other, I can be the reverse. And Father, I certainly, me, me personally, I do not want that. In my relationship with you, Father. Because my relationship with you, when it's right, will be right with others. And when it's not, it won't be. You have to be the source. You are the source of fellowship. In First John 1, 1 through 3. Thank you, Lord. Either iniquity abounds or intimacy abounds. I'm going to make that one again. Either iniquity abounds unsubmitted will, or intimacy abounds. And Father, thank you so much for your love. And in First Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, when we don't live in self-judgment of the flesh, you and your grace and love come in, and you chasten us, and that is the mark of your love to convince us of your love, and that's what it takes, chastisement, is God's convincing us he loves us so we won't be condemned. Father, thank you for your loving words. In Jesus' name, thank you so much. Amen.